You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Fox Hills Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. In a moment, Veronica will introduce our guest. I can tell you, you'll want to listen on to hear what he has to say about what's going to be the big disruptor for real estate agents. The real estate industry had underquoting laws put on it because they underquoted. They had material fact laws because they were deceptive. We're now taking the lead. We're actually going to say, okay, we're going to change the game ourselves rather than um, have it forced upon us. Then stick around for this week's Elephant Rider training. And we have a cracking Dumbo the Week coming up. Before we get started, Everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. This week, we're picking the brains of John Cunningham, who has had a long and distinguished career as a salesperson, auctioneer and principal of his own agency on Sydney's Northern Beaches. Over the past 12 years, John has also made a significant impact on the industry as a whole, recently concluding a two-year term as president of the REI New South Wales, so the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales, and now taking on the role of chairman of the professional committee of the Real Estate Institute of Australia. So he's been around for a while. Having commenced his career in real estate in 1977, he doesn't look that old, I promise you, but this is a podcast, so it doesn't really matter what he looks like. <laughs> I'm trying to get a laugh out of him. He's not, he's not, uh, he's not laughing, right. And I he says- You started very young, Veronica. You started very young, yeah. yes. <laughs> and John says that he's always had a very simple philosophy to establish business relationships built on trust. Now, this must have been quite refreshing back in 1991 when he started his own agency, Cunningham's, which is now a significant player on Sydney's northern beaches with three offices, one in Balgala, one in Manly and one in DY. John has a reputation for integrity and professionalism and is highly respected both within and outside the industry. His goal is to turn the industry into a profession and we're keen to understand more about what that means. Welcome, John. Thank you very much, Veronica. Welcome, John. I'm very excited to have you here today. One of the things I'm most excited about is is your experience and how the industry has changed over such a long period and then also where it's going. And you mentioned just before today you're excited about where it's heading. Can you explain a bit more about why you're so excited? I get very excited very easily, so um, you know, be, be, be aware of that. Um, now, look, I, I think we've been in a, in a bit of a, a status quo environment for a long time um, where the change has been incremental uh, and minimal. Uh, yes, technology's had a massive shift, but the reality is in terms of how we deal with buyers and sellers and landlords and tenants really hasn't shifted much at all. I go back to where I started 40-odd years ago. And uh, the reality was it was still about relationships. Nothing's changed and it always will be about relationships. Uh, But you know what? The fundamentals haven't shifted. But we're in a place right now where technology and disruption in general, the whole stickiness and friction in transactions is changing the world in front of us. So unless we adapt and evolve and, in fact, disrupt ourselves, our world's going to change dramatically. Mm -hmm. Interesting you talk about disruption and certainly in the space of real estate too because, um, you know, one of the topics that a lot of people have been talking about is purple bricks and them coming in as a disruptor. What do you think about them being given that title? I don't think it's a disruption at all. It's just another model. 
you know, there's multiple models that, are, that occupy most industries. This just happens to be what I call a discount process model. Yeah. Um, so that model exists. I've known that model for probably 30 years in various forms, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just now been digitalized. So when you digitalize a process uh, and you put a truckload of money into marketing, you can convince anyone of anything. And this is, this is probably one of the issues in terms of, of the reality of our industry is that you can put out there whatever you want and say whatever you want and a certain portion of people will believe it. But the proof, as we know, is in the delivery. Promises are hollow. Um, and delivery is what it's all about. So I think for the professional agent, they have to counter that by actually providing better service, better outcomes. We, we believe in it starts with advice. If you, if you provide the right advice at the beginning and you back that with expertise, you back that with skills, you back that with knowledge, you will then provide that client with a great experience. That client or that consumer or that customer will then look at the result you provide. So it very much comes down to the performance at the end. So everything should be based on the delivery of the result and the experience you provide along the way. So that to me is where the future lies. You spoke there about advice. Um, Typically, you know, consumers haven't seen real estate agents as someone that they can go to for advice. Can you just talk a bit more about how you actually deliver advice? It's a great question and I think that's the key to it because What's happened in the past is agents have seen their, respons- their sole responsibility to their client being the person who is paying them their fee, whether that be a landlord or whether that be a property seller. When you go to being a professional, and I'll use that word importantly, because when you turn into a profession, you actually are accountable to the community. You're accountable to everyone. So you can provide advice to all parties of the transaction. The people paying you the money are actually paying you the money to provide advice to those people to enable them to either lease or buy their property. It's a bit of a no-brainer in, in reality that you know when you start to look after people, you get looked after. So that's where the shift has to occur. It has to occur in, in the fact that people have to be skilled enough to provide advice. And I think that's a massive problem in the industry that people aren't skilled. Uh, there's a lot of people who are. There's a lot of people who aren't. Do you also think it's a bit of a mindset shift for them to go away from my job's to do a transaction to my job's to be more of a, a trusted advisor. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. And that's exactly, you hit the nail on the head because the the transaction-based or the, or a process-based approach um, is is a facet of what we do. Um, to me, the the real gold is in the, in the trusted advisor status. Now, I, I remember when I started real estate all those many years ago, um, I came home from my first week. I'd been a property manager for two years. I came home from being a sales agent in my first week and spoke to my father and said, I've just figured out what my, where my future lies. He said, what's that? And I said, I meet buyers every day of the week and they're all going to be my future clients. So I'm going to look after everyone really well now and I'll have a career in real estate. And he said, well done, son. It usually takes people 20 years to figure that out. <laughs> you were enlightened. <laughs> so, you know, to me it was common sense and it was the fact that I was, I was brought up well to actually recognise recognize that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was the basis of my business. I've, I've got something on this because the thing is that the way in which real estate agents are remunerated doesn't quite allow that to happen, does it? You know, so do you see a future where there's a different remuneration model? Without a doubt. 
without a doubt. I mean, we're already seeing it in the buyer's agent space mm -hmm. where a, a, a buyer's agent who is a specialist mm -hmm. is a trusted advisor. And I would give that probably one of the greatest sort of accolades in that space because that's what they've occupied that space in terms of the advice component. Mm. Um, that is, is where we will go. Now, the reality is in, in Australian consumer law environment that we work in, it would be almost now impossible to actually have the American model in terms of how they remunerate the, the two sides of the transaction. Because oh, I hope that never goes that way. No. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> but, uh, shocking. No, uh, I can't understand how you can actually remunerate the representative of the buyer, but the seller's actually remunerating. Yeah, it. yeah. Because in that space, the, it's the two agents doing the deal. Yeah, for the benefit of the listeners, that is where in, in America, your vendor, the owner, would typically pay, say, a 5 or 6% sales commission. And that then is split between the buyer's broker and the seller's broker. So the seller is paying everyone. And, you know, I personally believe in a user pays and I actually think I actually think that sellers should pay a fee for service as opposed to a commission. And I think that a lot of real estate agents are giving excellent advice. When I say real estate, I'm a real estate agent, but I charge for my advice. And that's one of the reasons I jumped the fence because I could see that, that there are a lot of very, very good sales agents giving advice that is not necessarily valued as it should because the people receiving that advice aren't actually paying for it. Exactly. And I would say you haven't jumped the fence at all. You've just changed the fence, um, <laughs> it's, or you've, you've knocked a fence down, created a new environment. So that, mm. that to me is what it's a, it's actually about. So yes, be, we call it professional fee. Mm. Uh, you're actually charging a professional fee. The concept of commission, I think, is is dead and buried. Um, you know, you've got to start getting creative with fees. Um, we we have four different fee systems in our business, and uh, they are about what's suiting the client's needs. And, so and when you look at that, is that on the sales side or in property management side? On as the well? sales side and and also in property mm. management. So you you've got to you look at what services. <laughs> yeah, well, look in the sales side. It's it's quite simple. There's mm. the standard fixed fee concept, um, which is getting less and less used. Um, there is a incrementals. So um, mm -hmm. that you look at incentive based fee systems. So a low base. Uh, high top end. Um, you then look at what we call a performance fee. And a performance fee is based around the delivery of the result. We actually allow the client yep. to determine our fee mm. based on delivery of the advice, the experience, and the results. And we give them a band in which that falls into. Um, and interestingly enough, the average fee comes in about halfway in that band, just a little bit over halfway. Mm. Um, so to, I love that system because I mm -hmm. much prefer to be judged on what I do rather than what I say I'm going to do. You're still only then paid though if the property sells, correct? So there's often a case, maybe not often, but sometimes there's going to be a case where actually it's in the vendor's best interest maybe not to sell, maybe. I know it's not often the case and they've obviously committed to a sales campaign and the rest of it, but how then under those circumstances would it be in the agent's best interest to actually give good advice? Because they're still being paid only if it sells. Look, I think the reality is uh, a good agent understands their client, understands yep. their client's needs, and understands how they deliver that outcome. So if you're going to have someone who's a, who's away in the ferries uh, in terms of price, and you think, oh, I'll take it on and, and hope for the best, yeah. that's not a strategy. Mm. You know, th that is that is something where you're going to spend a lot of time banging your head against a brick wall. So again, when you move into a professional trusted advisor status, you are going to do business in a different way, yes, and there will be different models beyond what I've just described then. And I think that will open the door up to, a, I think, a more flexible, not necessarily cheaper mm. because value is is what you get. It's it's not what you pay. Yep. It's it's about saying, okay, where's the value? Where's, where's the performance in that? 
Uh, and we really see in our business that there's three different, I suppose, differentiations. There's points of difference, there's points of value, and there's points of performance that we have to deliver to a client. Because unless a client sees that and understands that that is how they choose an agent based on those yep. three things, mm. they are going to not be able to differentiate. And that's where the door has been left open for intermediaries and all kinds of advisors mm. that aren't actually providing advice. They're just playing a facilitation game. I think that's the key point around the transaction mindset that agents would potentially struggle with. And it happens obviously when you're sometimes junior in an industry and you're still kind of growing, you, you might only have so many customers and you need to sell and you need to get numbers on the board. And yep. when you're in this kind of, you know, transaction kind of scarcity mindset, it's easy to get, you know, potentially enforce that sale, but the circumstances of the seller there might've changed. They might not need to sell. They may have decided to stay in the place an abundance mindset would say, well, that's the right decision for the customer. Absolutely. Um, mm. I don't, it doesn't really matter. There's other customers out there. That's the right decision. I'll move on and on focus on them. I advise many people not to sell. Mm. Many, many, many. And, and of course, when they do come to sell, where do they go? They come back. Yeah. That's exactly you know, it, right. It's, it's a matter of taking either a career view or a short view. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, in our industry at the moment, there are so many people who've entered the industry in the last 10 years on easiest, cheapest, quickest options of getting into the mm. industry. So they're not trained, they're not skilled, they don't yeah. have what I call foundation knowledge. And in this industry, unless you've got foundation knowledge, in other words, okay, what's my product? Mm. I'm actually dealing in bricks and mortar and, and all the, do I actually know my product? Mm -hmm. Do I actually understand my marketplace? Do I understand the environment that I'm selling in? Do I understand the, the legislative environment? All these things are foundation and there's a massive generation of agents who don't have it. They mm -hmm. simply don't have it. Um, they've gone to the next phase. They think they've got it. Well, you know what? They're faking <laughs> it until they make it. And, yeah. and you know, mm. Albert Einstein uh, actually said, um, sorry, no, start again, John. Stephen Hawkins <laughs> said. Oh, the late. <laughs> the late Stephen Hawkins. He talked about um, the illusion of knowledge. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not the lack of knowledge that's the problem. It's the illusion of knowledge. So yeah. it's this whole thing that we think we know what we're doing mm. and we throw stuff out there and then just walk away from it. Just so, enough to be dangerous. Just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> That's another one. Yeah. I mean, we've got the Royal Commission going on at the moment and it's pretty scary. I mean, in the financial advice world and the mortgage broking world, they've got the similar problems to the real estate world. You know, a lot of it's been paid by product or selling. And if those transactions don't happen, then the advisors wouldn't get paid. And, you know, and I think people naturally think that all advisors are incentivized purely by money and they've all got scarcity mindsets. But, you know, the best advisors out there don't. They've got an abundance mindset. Totally. And they, you know, if the best advice for someone isn't to buy an investment property or isn't to put more money into their super or is to pay off their debt, the best advisors out there just give the best advice knowing that long-term those customers are going to stick around and that they're going to refer people and, you know, the good advisors out there don't don't worry about those things. No, they don't. They, they take a, a different – and, again, because of the advice that we provide – leads to transactions. It's making sure people actually follow the right path. If they don't get the right advice, they're not going to take the right path. It's simple as that. Mm -hmm. So yes, is this the right time to do this? Is this the right investment strategy that you're looking at? Whether it's leveraging equity in your own property to buy an investment property. Okay, what's your long-term view in terms of your retirement and where that's heading? Now, the, the, the sort of bizarre bit is that we, we can't be financial advisors, but we actually are providing advice mm -hmm. on certain paths. So there's a fine line in terms of where we cross on that space, which is why we often deal with other professions to actually provide that that extra layer. So getting someone in the right frame of mind 
and the right headspace to make the right decision. I call it influencing the best decisions. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. It's a lot of financial advice isn't financial advice. It's life planning advice. Mm. Telling someone to stay in their home because they love it and they're maybe just feeling a bit unsure with the area or their neighbour at the moment. It might be the best thing to do just to stay there, not sell. Mm. Just, you know, get through this difficult period. You've got a great asset. You really love it. I've advised so many clients to stay put and, re- and renovate or knock down and start again because well, the reality is that is the best thing for them. Yeah. You know, they're looking at all these other things that they can do. But when we sit down and go through all those options, I just say, look, this is my advice. Mm. This is what I suggest you do. This is what others have done. And some people take the advice, some people don't. That's fine. It, it's whatever they choose based on their desires. But often they're actually sitting in the best spot they can possibly be. Yeah. And look, you know, it is very difficult for people when they need that advice, to even know where to go to get that advice. Now that you're really getting out on a national level and getting out there and meeting agents and, and agencies and areas in which you probably haven't been before, what are you finding out there in terms of the general level of professionalism amongst agents and the disparity? It's a great big gap. There's a huge gap. I've been collecting data from various data sources uh, across the country and some interesting findings have come out of that. I always thought that, you know, maybe 20% of the agents are doing 80% of the work. Mm-hmm. It's actually 25% of agents are doing 75% of the work. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting number and there are pretty much 75% of the industry is not making a living. It's Overloaded. Too many people. Too many people. And so how long typically does somebody come into the industry and stay there for realising that, look, made a bit of a mistake and then get out? Well, here's an interesting stat. Of the 40,000 real estate agents across the country who had their name attached to at least two properties in a year, there was 80,000 who had their name attached to one. Half the industry has come and gone. So, so many people coming in. There's an established group mm. and there's a truckload of people. Trans, just transitional. I mean, transitioning in within 12 months and out. So, we're talking across the nation. And I was talking to uh, another franchise head today about this. And their figures were about 20% of, of who comes in goes. Now, that's a low. That's a low number. It's a smaller franchise. And I think it's a good franchise that that's a good sign. That's 20% is a good outcome, right? Very good outcome. Yeah. I mean, outcome. I think in broking and, and advice, it, it's well over 50%. Don't really? last more than 12 months. Yeah, and yeah. that's the problem. So yeah. people are actually taking, we believe 80% of the people who are doing the certificate of registration course come and go mm. within 12 months. So it, uh, either either come and don't even go. In other words, they don't get a job, but they've done the courses. And the courses have been offered as quick, easy fixes. It's supposed to be a five-day course. The record's about two and a half hours. Shocking, isn't it? Yeah. I just, you know, we could bang on about how awful that is for hours. But it's just um, ripping people off as well. It is know. ripping people off. And it's also false promises and there's a whole buyer's agent course out there at the moment. The advertising basically says, that, you know, you're going to be on seven figures after a year. You know, effectively, that's what these, these false promises mm. have been given. And even if you actually sat down and looked at the amount of people in that actual business that's running this, the actual buyer's agents there, they could not possibly be turning over this the amount of property. It's just not possible with their own buyer's agents, let alone selling that dream to a bunch of people coming into supposedly a new- hopes, Yeah, isn't it? massive. Yeah. And so the industry's really um, quite mixed. I mean, in terms of our target audience for the professionalism program, our goal is about 20% of the industry. That's it. 
Mm. We're not actually mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. beyond that because we have to create this massive point of difference. It'll split the industry in two. There will be the professional agents who are actually taking their career seriously and provide that advice, experience, results concept, and those that will be just real estate agents. So there'll be quite a distinct difference. But the professional status is an, is an officially recognised profession. It's actually recognised Professional Standards Council. We're going through the application process at the moment, and we hope to become the seventh profession. Mm-hmm. So this is a pretty big step up for the industry from where it's been. I was talking to someone yesterday and they said, oh, I thought we were a profession. We've never been a profession. We've always been an industry who thinks we're a profession but doesn't behave professionally. So this is not just words. It's not just saying, oh, we're all going to become more professional and therefore you're going to be a profession. You're actually saying that there's actually a path, literally. Pathway to (laughs) being a profession. Pathway to being Mm. professional. So what do I need to do? Like I've got loads of experience. Can't I just get some um, credit points and become a professional? Look, there's a process. Um, there's a course content. Um, and uh, someone like you or me, for example, with our uh, recognition of prior learning, you have to get a diploma status. So yes, there will be some components we have to go through to get there. I've already got a diploma, so it's easy for, for me, but most people will have that recognition of prior learning in the first instance. But there is other things that I have to meet. And the biggest one is a commitment to the ethical standards that apply to the industry. So what we do is by setting these ethical standards, they're actually setting them above the law. In other words, you're setting standards that go beyond the law. It's a given that a professional adheres to the law. In other words, they don't underquote. They actually follow the law. They don't try mm. and find ways around the law. Yes. They comply with the law. Mm. And then the professional standards adds another weight to that, which is the way government then views professional standards. Government comes to professions for advice. Industries bang on the door of government to get what they need. The whole thing's flipped on its head. Mm. Uh, and that's what we need to do. But do you know what? The industry was not ready five years ago, but it wasn't ready three years ago. It's ready now. It is? Yeah. So- what, when you say it's ready, what has been done to get the industry to that point? Look, there's a shift in my view, and you, you actually do see it a bit in training these days in terms of, of the concept of values. You know, we never got trained on values. You never actually got trained on, on belief systems. You never mm. got trained on, on having a set of guiding principles, which is what your values and your ethics are about. You never got trained on actually converting those into behaviours because the behaviours is what the consumer sees. So the whole consumer uh, experience concepts is becoming trained. So people are saying, hey, there is a better way. There is another way. There's a way I can actually sleep well at night. There's a way that I can actually look my kids in the eye and see that they're proud of me. Uh, I can actually go to a barbecue and be proud of being a property professional or real estate professional as opposed to a dodgy real estate agent. There's another path, in other words. There's another way we can go about this. I Mm. guess the the worry is um, is these same similar conversations in the financial advice industry, you know, it's not really a profession. Um, you not. know, and you know, <laughs> you can see with uh, AMP today is uh, you know it's, it's it's quite hilarious, really, because I was, you know, I, I understand how how horrible, you know, the outcomes that you know they've delivered to people, um, and you know, I'm glad they're actually you know on the, getting dragged over the coals, um, and the mortgage breaking and things like that. I guess the the thing with the real estate industry taking that direction is um, most to become a profession, you've got to take a fiduciary. Um, like basically sign a fiduciary agreement that you're there and to act legally and responsible and in the best instance uh, uh, interests of the vendor. Um, And it's a massive responsibility Um, and all the smokes and mirrors and all the playing the games and, 
you know, would have to basically go and it would have to be much more transparent and, you know, it would, I guess it's a big, big step. Um, Well, that's why it's not going to appeal to everyone. No, no. That's the reality. And the interesting thing, though, is that an agent, we are agents. So a Mm. common law definition of an agent is you are your principal. In other words, you are acting as them. Mm, it's an entirely mm. different concept to an advisor. Mm-hmm. So that the the common law, um, I suppose, standard is yeah. that we are already in that place, or we should be in that place as an agent. You are looking at looking after their best interest. You are them. They are authorizing you to be them. Mm-hmm. So if you start from that premise and then you build the, the the concept of okay, let's say the financial services industry as a whole. They are being forced to do certain things because of certain actions. The real estate industry had underquoting laws put on it because they underquoted. They had material fact laws because they were deceptive. Mm. We're now taking the lead. We're actually going to say, okay, we're going to change the game ourselves rather than um, have it forced upon us. So the concept of we are going to be the change and determine our own destiny based on what the consumer wants. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a, that's a flip. We're talking, mm. we're talking about flipping the industry on its head um, because unless we do that, we are going to be regulated more and more and more. So governments much prefer industries to actually move into self-regulation, a self-regulation mm. ultimately. We can't go bang to self-regulation. We've got to go through a process and it will be generational shift. But you know what? It has to start somewhere. How do developers feel about this? <laughs> we haven't actually spoken to developers yet. Um, the, look, the reality is uh, it's got to start at the ground. Um, now we, we've started at the feet and the head of the industry. So we've actually been talking to industry leaders um, and not what some people think are industry leaders. Industry leaders aren't trainers. Industry leaders are people in the industry who are actually leading teams and, and, and doing things like that. Uh, and then with the feet are the people on the ground. Um, so we, we believe that once we get the head and the feet together, we'll get the body sorted out. But we only want the best people. In other words, people who actually do have values, people yep. who actually understand what ethics are and actually can can tell me what the definition of integrity is because most don't know it. No. Um, so, you know, you've got to have a set of guiding principles to have integrity to go by. Absolutely. So we, we're shifting the concept. We, we're, we've actually been the last two years uh, in New South Wales um, talking to the best agents to get them on board to, to the scheme, to understand the scheme. So unless you actually win the hearts and minds to understand there is a better way, mm-hmm. um, yet yeah, you won't bring people on the journey. Um, but I had one agent, a very, very well-known agent who will remain nameless, uh, said to me, what's all this BS about 12 months ago? And then two months ago I said, John, I love what you're doing. This is awesome. The best thing that's ever happened to the industry. Mm. Now that just took 12 months of, of planting seeds and watering mm. them. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we're doing. And it is interesting because – Effectively, it's going to be a two-tier industry then, isn't it? And and also, interestingly, that you're doing this now on a national basis, which is separate to our licensing laws. Right. The licensing is state-based. So that sort of does take into a different sort of realm. And that will be very interesting because I think buyers and vendors will then be faced with that challenge of actually trusting an agent and it'll give them an opportunity to be able to differentiate between you know, those who are on the program, for instance, or those who aren't or those choosing to go down that path. One of the things that we're finding even just interviewing agents in this for this podcast is that a lot of agents are saying, well, you know, well, I 
I am ethical and and I have a way of working with with buyers and and I am transparent in my dealings and and I have a long term view and and I do view buyers today as my vendors for tomorrow and so therefore I'm not in this business for short term transactions and I want to look after people etc cetera, etc cetera, and give good advice and the, and the frustration with them is that because not everyone is like that it's really difficult for buyers to determine mm. who is who in the zoo and Absolutely. so I guess there's no differentiation the, no there isn't and I guess what this does is bring that into the whole into the whole thing. Now, I, for this podcast as well, and I look, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and we probably should put some references to some of the good ones. But I, I notice there's quite a crop of um, training podcasts for real estate agents, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've been listening to some of these, and perhaps, and, and I don't know, it may be even you'd be able to give us some resources so we can pop them in the resource section of this podcast. Uh, that would be great. I see you sure. nodding, so that's great. One of the ones that I listened to, I was a bit shocked by, and. You know, these are high-profile, successful agents, a couple of them. They're like they're in a footy locker room, these guys. You know, they're sort of, you know, hey, you know, I don't want to use their name, so I won't use their names. Hey, Bob, you know, how you doing, Bob? One of them says, oh, Bob, Bob, mate, real estate's not very technical. It's what I say. This is my accent. You know, this is what I say to the guys I'm training. I say, you know, all we got to do is find a seller and you've got to find a buyer and what happens in the middle is getting them together. It's not that technical. Now, my skin crawl when I heard that, because I think it's extraordinarily technical. Um, well, what's your answer to that? I mean, this this is a sort of populist training that's out there. You know, I hear quite a bit of this, you know. How do you tackle that? You know, on an industry level, how do you get the young guys, the young and, and women too, I guess, but this it seems to be particularly targeted at mm. blokes, this one. How do you get the youngsters of the industry, the newbies in the industry, listening to good stuff? a really difficult question to answer because we've identified that. In fact, there was an email trail going around today about a particular trainer and uh, use of language and other bits and pieces that was sort of like becoming inappropriate. And um, I think the the, the space that that occupies um, has been allowed to be occupied by various um, facilitators of training, uh, various supporters of training. But now the discussions have been had with those organizations to say, hey, do you understand the messages that you're actually putting out there? Yeah. Um, and it's mixed messages. Mm. Um, so we are getting this this concept. This is actually an extremely technical business. Um, I was told only probably 12 months ago by, by Victor Dominello, the Minister for Better Regulation and Innovation back then, that there are 23 pieces of legislation that affect real estate. And I would guarantee you the majority, 99% of agents wouldn't would know one mm. piece of legislation. So Yes, if you are going to be a facilitator of a buyer and a seller and putting a transaction together, that's great. That's fantastic because that's what you do in a facilitation space. But that's saying a lawyer exchanges a contract. You know, it, it, it's the reality is what goes behind that. Yeah. Um, and, and the classic, what could possibly go wrong in those environments? Everything goes wrong. Litigation is increasing at a rapid rate. And it's because of people cutting corners, taking shortcuts, doing all those things and not actually knowing what they're doing and what the implications and consequences of what they're doing. So our job in this, in this professionalism program is to actually change that game. And it won't happen overnight. Um, it's going to happen through incremental shifts, um, but also by providing a national resource for both agents and consumers uh, that has professional advice, transparent, open platform that we're working with at the moment to create an unprecedented level of information for agents and for consumers. Because there hasn't been a credible source. No. You can go on and Google it and hope that you find the answers and you'll find 20 different answers. We want to come down to definitive answers that are based on the standard levels, not the, the bit below. 
We want to harmonise licensing. Ultimately, we want to harmonise legislation across the country. And you can only do that by having a professional standards scheme. You can't do it any other way mm. because you're just going about it the wrong way. But to me, it's all about information. If you get great information into, into the marketplace and people have credible sources, it's, it starts to change. But it's going to take a bit of time and we are working on it. I mean, I would love for... In one of the conversations I do say when clients are looking to invest in property is that it's a buy beware market and there's, there's very, very little things to protect you. And mm. you won't know for a very long time, you'll trick yourself to believe that what you've done is a good decision firstly. <laughs> um, you'll go and get confirmation bias and you'll read all the right reports and you'll ignore all the reports that say that maybe what you've done is the wrong decision. Um, you'll ignore all the signs that tell you that what you've done was the wrong decision because you want to keep believing that you've done the right thing. And then maybe five or 10 years later, you'll say to yourself, I've done the wrong thing. But most of the time you probably won't. You'll still believe that you've done the wrong thing. Um, and even if you have done the wrong thing, you be- you've you've figured out that you've done the wrong thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I know it's, where this is going. It's years <laughs> down the line. and Damage and, is done. <laughs> and you won't even want to admit that to yourself. Because you, I admit it to myself all the time. Yeah. That I've made some bad investment decisions in property and I've made some great ones. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, though, with property, because it's such a big decision, you only make, you get really one shot at it. You know, people haven't got unlimited borrowing capacities. Mm. They haven't got unlimited equity. They've, they're making one big decision and they make it. And then 10 years later, they go, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And then they sell it. You know, most property investors buy one property. And they don't buy another one. The reason why is because they've stuffed it up. They bought a dog. And <laughs> the opportunity cost of making that wrong decision is huge. You know, from make they could have kept the good one, the good one could have kept on getting better for thirty years. So I think the hard part is, is that you know the industry being completely buyer beware. We the, the amount of information you can get from property sellers, um, you know, property experts, and what, all what? sorts of I think things the, like that. I think the big issue is. There is a lot of information out there. A lot of it is biased information and, and comes from from people trying to sell you something. Um, but a lot of it also requires interpretation totally. and requires knowledge mm. uh, and experience. And so even that, even having a, a national resource, it's going to be interesting to see what's in that because, you know, I look, I consider myself a property expert. I consider myself uh, an investment property expert. Um, you know, I've got the qualifications, I've got the experience, yet I can have arguments that will run into the night, you know, with other accredited property mm. experts because we will differ on fundamental things. And so how is that going to be dealt with, you know? <laughs> great, great question because, like, you know, you say economists, for example. Mm, you know, don't agree. Uh, none of them, <laughs> never have. You mm, know? And, mm. and I love looking at the at the, the views of economists. Mm. Um, look, f- in this environment, the, the reality is we're all looking at crystal balls. Um, all we can do is advise on present status, in my view, and history. Uh, the concept of looking to the future in terms of an advisory space um, has to come with options. And uh, to me, that is, is what the... The advisor should be doing. If you do this, 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 or this, here's the options that you have and the way that you can go about it. But understanding what the client's ultimate needs are is to me the the key. And and I look at, at the at the at the past and and all the spruikers from all over the country selling products in from Brisbane to Bonnie Doon or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, <laughs> and the advice yes. that they provide uh, around that. Um, 
skirts the law massively. Mm. Um, it, it, if you if you really did get into it, you'd be seeing breaches left, right, and centre. Yeah. How does the real estate industry industry bodies and the government feel about you know? My view has always been, you know, they don't want to open up the the covers because, you know, the property market is unregulated and, you know, they want to keep it that way because it keeps the property market going. Um, you know, just does the I'm, but if I was working in the real estate in, institute, I'd be thinking, what the hell are these guys doing? They're just giving us a, a bad rep, whether it's developers or oh, what, yeah. Um, I mean, our view is is is, is transparency, is openness. We, we we want to create the world is changing at a rapid rate of knots. Consumer emerging consumer expectations are all about okay. If I'm paying someone for advice or I'm paying someone for a service, I expect to actually get what I've paid for. Um, and if it's not, I'll go to the regulator to to slap them on the wrist. So the environment is changing rapidly, and I think this Royal Commission is a great example of that. And the mm-hmm. whole sort of financial services industry is is the is almost like the the window to the future in terms of mm-hmm. where we are. We've saw that we saw it coming. We said let's change the game ourselves. Let's actually go into a consumer focus space mm-hmm. uh, where we lift the lid. Mm-hmm. We completely take the veil off and say, here it is. Now, the reality is the more information you provide people, the better decisions they're going to make. And I'm of the view that yep. um, our, and our charter at the Institute is um, actually a big chunk of its consumer protection so mm-hmm. that you have to make sure consumers are looked after and, and not misled, and that's all part of what we do. And I think people have just forgotten that component of it, or some people have. A lot, most of the agents of my contemporaries um, and the people I deal with Understand this, and this is how they operate. And they're all for it. And they're all for it. Yep. So this is a it's a changing world. We can't ignore the fact that mm. uh, this is the information age. It's also the transparency age, and it's open data age. So why don't we actually provide good data, good dissemination of data, good um, commentary around data, so people can make good decisions? Ultimately, yep. if you provide all the options, um, people will 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 take a choice, whether it be. Uh, an investment strategy, for example, I, I advise clients all the time on investment strategies. And the number one investment strategy: every time you buy a property, never sell a property. Um, you know that's uh, that's Chinese proverb. Um, so, as long as it's a good property, you said you property. made some mistakes. So you still yeah, got those but you ones. Know what? I look back and go, no, actually, I shouldn't say that. I didn't make bad <laughs> mistakes. I could have made better calls, better decisions, yeah, better yeah. decisions mm. on a particular property that's still gone like nuts. Mm. Um, but you know, my advice is hindsight's an easy hindsight. I just advise people just buy one bedroom units. <laughs> yeah, but where? In Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Don't uh, go to John Cunningham for investment uh, advice, guys. <laughs> no, no I, I only advise on what I know. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, you start advising people on what you don't know. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, it's look, it's it's an interesting space and I think the future in that space, um, particularly from a buyer's perspective, is understanding what's ahead of them, knowing uh, what they're getting themselves into. Um, and I just see enough buyers not making the right decisions because they just simply haven't researched sufficiently. They well, haven't understood yeah. the rules of engagement. They haven't understood the rules of the game and they're taking advice from the wrong people. A, f- a few of our guests have talked about a good agent um, is empathetic. Um, and I mean, do you know, I, I find it quite hard to hear sometimes because, you know, the buyer is the one who's buying it, you know, and they're paying out these huge mortgages, um, but they've also got to encourage them to take out, you know, to buy the home. Um, do you think the agents are really empathetic to, you know, the challenges that some of their buyers are feeling? Because, you know, there is a buyer at the end of every transaction. It's not just a seller who's getting a great price. Do you reckon they are empathetic and knowing that buyers are really, you know, this huge decisions, big consequences for them if they're not making the right decision? 
I think the answer is most don't know what the word means um, in terms of the fact that uh, sticking up a, a Facebook post saying sold 250000 over reserve is not being very empathetic to the to the buyer. Oh, I know. Um, I just, it, it, annoys, yeah. it annoys me massively, uh, unprofessional in my view. Um, and, mm. um, you know, if it's a street record and a block record, it's just a load of nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, all that stuff is nonsense. It's 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 stuff that people, it doesn't mean anything to consumers. It just It's just an ego boost to the agent. Mm. But the reality in terms of, of where the, the empathy should be um, is understanding what their needs. I mean, the, the advice that they're going to be given is not going to just come from the agent on the property. They're going to come... As we know, the number one thing they must do is get pre-approved loan. You know, don't go start looking at properties without a pre-approval. Don't sort of go through a whole process and on Friday night before the auction say, oh, I couldn't get my finance approved. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry, but why did you start in the first place? Go about it the right way. Get the right advice. Understand what your limitations are. Always factor in a, a 0.5% increase in in uh, in rates uh, and, and take a long-term view. Uh, and yes, people are going to get emotional for an auction for a property of my daughter on the weekend and my wife kept putting more money on the table for them. Um, they didn't get it then it went for an extremely high price um, and, and that's fine. It was, it was okay. Um, but we, we pushed our limits and, and that's exactly what people do if the property means a lot to them. If you're buying for investment, there's no way in the world you're going to do that. Mm. It, it's going to be a, pretty much a commercial-based decision unless there's a, a long-term view that you will live in it. So I think Understanding what you're actually doing and why you're doing it, mm-hmm. make sure you've got your finance approved, and then create relationships with agents um, that actually will enable you to actually find people that you can trust. Um, and then even if you're uh, – and we, we advise a lot of people who aren't buying from us about properties that they're buying from other agents just to make sure that they get a bit of an unbiased view on, on where it yeah, should be. Yeah, we find quite a few agents saying that, actually. That seems to be the sort of a way of the future. Every week, we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing them a lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. John, we'd love to get some examples from you because we can all learn what not to do from these stories. Oh, how much time have you got? (laughs) Oh, give us a few. Give us a couple. Okay, so my pet one is, um, look, I'll make this offer. I don't want my offer disclosed to anyone. I make that absolutely clear, Veronica. This is my offer, mm. and you can't disclose it to anyone. Okay, so this is me now. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so therefore, that means that you actually don't want me to disclose any other offers to you, to you that <laughs> yeah. I get from other people that might be higher than yours. Uh, well, <laughs> and thought about that. And thought about that. Yeah. Uh, no. So that's one. People mm. go in thinking that they are in control. Yeah. Right, right. Or, or that they can control things. Or they can control yeah, things. Yeah. Nobody's in control, mm. right? The, the reality is the vendor's not in control Yeah, because they're on an emotional thing as well, so therefore they don't have the control they think they have. Yeah, The seller's not in control. The agent's not in control. There is a process that everyone has to go through by understanding what I call the rules of engagement. Mm-hmm. So in other words, what is going to be the way that you're going to negotiate? That's what I always advise yep. clients. Find out what the process is for the sale of this property. Are you taking offers before auction one? If it's a if it's a private treaty or or a buy negotiation, how do you process those offers? How do you actually go through? Do you require them in writing? What do you consider an offer to be? Because in our business, we have a document that says we only consider an offer to be an offer in writing with terms and conditions set out clearly. Yeah, uh, and that was the only way we all consider an offer. If you make a verbal offer, it's not an offer, and. 
fair trading accept that and say, yep, you have a policy and you follow it through. It's a policy procedure process. So again, if someone says to me, um, John, this is my firm and final offer. 1.1. End of story. Okay, so if I get a higher offer, you don't want to know. No, that's it. I'm out. Done. 1.1. Are you 100% sure that you don't want me to let you know because what would you find out if it was sold for $10,000 more? How would you feel about that? Mm. Told you. This is it. And then, so you don't even want me to ring you to tell you the result. Nope. If I don't get it, I don't get it. This is a, this was actually. A, is that a Dumbo or disciplined buyer? No, 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 it's a Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> this is a well-known Australian actor, by right, the way. Right, okay. Buying property, thought he mm. was hot stuff. Mm. Um, so. Uh, Russell Crowe. <laughs> It wasn't just it for the, wasn't you know. <laughs> it was not Russell. Contemporary. So what that. happened? Do you tell. Okay. <laughs> so I, there's two other parties involved in this pre-auction process, which yep. is we have a transparent, open negotiation um, system, uh, and uh, it sold for $60,000 more than his offer back then. It was a few, quite a few years ago. Mm. And about two days later, I get a call from him. So how did you go, my offer? I said, well, I rang you, left a message, said the, you've been beaten. Oh, well, how much you go for? Da, da, da. I said, oh, oh, my wife's going to kill me. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? Uh-huh. He, said, he said, I thought you were fooling me. There were other people. Mm. And I said, listen, mate, I said, I don't fool anyone. I told you that. Um, if there's buyers, there's buyers, and it's all transparent because I've got the offers in writing. So you can come and have a look at them if you like, but it's been sold for 60 grand more than you. You offered, and so he took a path of belief, yeah, um, that was based around advice that he'd been given, experiences he's had, and he thought that was the best way to go about it. Even though I explained to him exactly how the rules of engagement were mm. going to be, yeah, and he just decided to take a path, and so that is that has been your own worst enemy in in that situation. Self sabotage. Self sabotage, completely self sabotage. And look, you know, because we have this transparent methodology and we have an audit trail, um, I would suggest that again, if any buyers in that process where there's multiple offers occurring, they want to understand what the rules of engagement are. They want to understand what the audit trail is, exactly how this is going to play out and put trust into it. Because I would say, and in your experience, nine times out of ten when an agent says there's another buyer, there's another buyer. There's going to be one guy that's going to play the dodgy game, but the reality is it's not a game you want to play. No. Any agent who plays that game is simply crazy because they will be annihilated under Australian consumer law if it, if it came out. All not, it takes is one complaint and away you go. Yeah, and not just are they annihilated, but it's quite, you know, when you do call their bluff, it's very interesting when someone has tried that and they actually don't have any other buyers. Mm. So, I mean, that's something that, you know, through our experience, you know, when, when you've been doing this long enough and you can read read the way people are playing and, and all that sort of stuff, then then you can make a very educated call as to whether someone's playing a game or not. But I would say, I would agree with you, nine out of ten, when they say there's an offer on the table because they are going to get caught out big time, they're going to have their pants down around yep. their ankles if you call them on that. That one is loss of licence, no question, gone. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so, definitely a Dumbo. Yeah. Look, you know, and sad, isn't it, really, at the end of the day? And, and I'm glad he's, I hope his wife did give him a real bollocking. Oh, they're no, they're no longer married. <laughs> he deserved it. <laughs> they're no longer married. I love it. Maybe it was Russell Crowe. That's it. <laughs> okay. It wasn't just for the record. It was not Russell Crowe. Okay. Well, look, John, thank you so much for coming in and talking with us. I think that, um, you know, what you're talking about is is the future of this industry and I'm very, very proud to be a real estate agent and and I know that there are some excellent agents out there providing excellent advice. And so for me, I'd love to be able to say I'm a profession, I, I'm part of a profession. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm, I'm personally very excited by that and I'm so pleased that you could take the time and your busy schedule to come in and explain that to us and give us some insights into what's coming. No, I really appreciate the opportunity because it's something that I think, you know, again, Property consumers is what this is all about. It's actually dealing in that space and we want them to feel comfortable and actually feel, okay, I can trust these people because our reputation is not good. Uh, and to change that is going to take a bit of time, but it's going to change through behaviours. It'll change. Behaviours have to be learnt uh, and we're going through a massive learning curve um, for the industry. Although, as I say, a lot of people have already been doing it and a lot of people will transition into this really easily. Um, but the reality is change is inevitable and we've got to go with it. Thank you, John. It's been amazing. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is... Understanding how to find the terms of engagement when you're making an offer. Now, we were just talking about this with John, but how do you find out the terms of engagement? Well, the way to do it is actually to ask the agent directly. Now, if there is a pre-auction scenario going on or if it's a private treaty property and you have to make an offer, then you need to find out how the agent works because they all work differently. Now, a professional agent will be very clear on what they expect you to do and what they will do. An unprofessional one may not be so clear, so I'm very sorry. You're going to have to muddle your way through that one. When making offers, find out the terms of engagement. Now, that's what John calls it. What the terms of engagement are is the actual way in which that agent is going to handle your offer. You need to find out how they will deal with other buyers, if there are other buyers that are interested, how they will put that offer forward to the vendor, and how they'll come back to you and communicate with you. Some agents won't give you a second chance. You need to go in with your best first up. Others will come back to you as many times as it takes until there's no money left. Whatever it is, you need to find out how they're going to handle it before you make an offer. So, Veronica, what have we got to add to our Elephant Memory Bank this week? Well, this week, John has shared with us his series of flipbooks for buyers, sellers, investors and owner-occupiers. They're all packed with practical tips and the links are available in the show notes. Please join us for our next episode when we interview Ewan Morton of Sydney-based agency Morton. Ewan's business comprises residential sales, property management and building management. And we get into a very spirited conversation about the benefits or otherwise, of buying new and off-planned properties. Now, we do have a little bit of argy-bargy in this episode, so make sure you tune in to find out what that's all about. The Elephant in the Room Property Podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk and edited by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Me again. We're looking forward to spending more time with you and uncovering what's really going on in the world of real estate. Please subscribe, be sure to send us a message, leave an iTunes review, and tell your friends.
Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.